Over the last few weeks, we've been looking as a church about how we can train up our faith, how we can continue to grow in our faith as we follow Jesus. And today we're starting a new series, but in many ways we're continuing the same theme of looking at how we can continue to grow and develop our discipleship as we start this new series, looking at Hebrews 11 and what's become known as the Hall of Faith. Now, if I asked you how, if you could have one football lesson with anyone in the world, who would you choose to have that lesson with? Would you choose me and my silky skills to teach you to play football? Or would you choose an international superstar like England's up-and-coming talent, Jude Bellingham, to give you the latest uh, and the best football coaching? Or if you decided you wanted to play an instrument or to sing beautifully, would you come and listen to someone or ask for someone who's slightly tone-deaf and musically inept, like myself, or would you choose to go and speak to one of our band members who play and lead us so beautifully each week to nurture you and to help you to learn to be the best musician that you could be? Or if you wanted to put on the best event and do something really spectacular and magnificent, would you go and learn the, uh, the lessons from the people who just about scrape by each week putting on wonderful events, or would you go and choose the people who are the leaders of the field, the people who are the best at what they do, to go and learn from their example so that you might be able to do the best event that you could do? The point I'm trying to make is the best way to learn is to learn from the best. We're in Cambridge University. People come from around the world to learn from the best. Learning from people who've already done it, people with experience and expertise, that's what you look for when you're trying to learn and grow and develop in our faith. And that might be true as we live our lives day by day around the world, but it's also true for us as we live our lives for Jesus. Many of us here today will have heroes in our own personal faith people who've inspired us and influenced our own faith in Jesus. One of my heroes is a guy called Keyes. Um, Keyes transformed my understanding of Jesus. He helped me to encounter God for myself, and it's because of him and the influence he had on my life that I'm the follower of Jesus that I am today. But the Bible is also full of heroes of faith. And this chapter of uh, Hebrews 11 that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks is where the best of the best are celebrated for the faith that they have lived out as they have followed Jesus. So I'm going to read uh, or pray and read this morning's passage and we're going to spend some time thinking about how can we learn from these heroes of faith that we might live our faith for Jesus out in an uncertain world today. So before I go any further, let's pray together and then we'll read this morning's reading. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful truths that there are within it. We thank you for the way in which it leads us and inspires us to follow you and to worship you. And Lord, as we uh, gather around your word now, we pray that your spirit would be moving and speaking. Uh, that we would have hearts and minds that are open to hear what you are saying. 
and that you might be stirring up faith within our hearts, we pray, as we live our lives for you. Amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles with me, today we're going to read the first six verses of Hebrews 11, and we're going to work through the rest of the chapter over the next three weeks. Um, but uh, Hebrews 11, chapter one, or chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1, is where we are today. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel bought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It strikes me today that we have never needed faith more in our world than we do today. We live in uncertain times and where there is uncertainty, all the more do we need faith. Whether we followers of Jesus or not, there is uncertainty everywhere. Our world, we've all recognised already, faces huge challenges and you don't have to look far before you can very easily start to feel like it's all a bit hopeless. So it seems to me to be a fitting time to come and look at this great chapter again and consider how we might have faith and find certainty in Jesus even in the midst of the uncertain world in which we live in. So as we come to look at this passage, we're going to start by considering some of the context of this letter to the Hebrews together. This uh, letter was written to a group of Jewish Christians, probably living in Italy, who were struggling in their faith, were struggling to put their faith in Jesus because of the circumstances in which they were living. It's highly likely they were being persecuted for their faith and find it really difficult to continue to hold on to their faith in Jesus. And the overarching message of this whole letter to the Hebrews is ultimately a call of perseverance to the church to continue to stand firm in their faith in Jesus. Chapter 11 starts off uh, and follows on from what's gone before. And so if we just look back one chapter uh, to the last verse of chapter 10, the writer says this to the church, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The message that they wanna, that the writer wants to share with the church is that we need to remain to be people of faith. 
I love the language in this verse that we can't shrink back. We can't step back. We can't hide away. We can't change our course. We can't go into retreat or safety mode because if we do, that's only going to lead to destruction. Rather, we need to step boldly forward into the uncertainty to be people of faith. Because it's only as we step out in faith, as we step forward in faith, that we are saved. When we have faith, instead of facing destruction, we find life. Faith is the, is, is the answer to finding life, even in the most challenging of situations. My prayer for the church, both here at Arbor Road and around the world, is that we would hear this message that the church would not shrink back, that we wouldn't go into retreat, that the, the church of Jesus, the one who died and rose again, the one who is Lord over all, that we would step forward in faith with him, never shrinking back, no matter how challenging and how difficult the world around us might be. I've entitled this morning's message, The Faith Survival Guide. And today we're going to think about how we can survive as we live out our faith in times of uncertainty, ensuring that we do just that, that the writer was encouraging the church to do, to not shrink back, but to step forward in faith as we follow Jesus today. And so we come to verse 1 and we see that in verse 1, in order to survive and to continue to live a life of faith in an uncertain world, we need to be people who have a clear vision of faith. Faith and hope go together. When uncertainty surrounds us, it's very easy to hope for all sorts of things that will make our lives better. But hope is baseless if we don't have faith that our hopes might become a reality. To, to try and explain this a little bit more, I've had hopes for all kinds of things throughout my life. I've not necessarily had the faith to back those up. For example, I hoped when I was younger that I might become a professional footballer. Just one look at my athletic and natural ability shows you why I have no faith that that was ever going to be fulfilled. And surprisingly, without the faith to back up the hope, I have never become a professional footballer. Some of you will be shocked to hear. Faith validates our hope. Faith encourages us that one day all that we hope for will be revealed as God works through us. It is faith that stops our hope from being delusional. To have this kind of faith, we need to be people of vision. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith involves having confidence in what we hope for. We need to have a vision of what we want the future to look like, of what God wants the future to look like, and to believe that it's possible. We need a, a vision of a world where peace replaces war, 
where injustice is overcome by justice, where poverty is eradicated and the abundance of God is revealed to all. We need a vision of God's kingdom being established here on earth as it is in heaven. Faith also means that we need to have assurance or confidence about what we do not see. This means that even when we're facing struggles, even when it seems uncertain and difficult, in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of the pain and all the trouble that we face, we continue to have faith because we continue to have confidence, we continue to trust that God is still at work even when we don't see it. Some of us will know the worship song, uh, Waymaker. And this song has a wonderful description of what this kind of confidence that the writer is encouraging the church to have might look like. The song says that even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, God, I trust you are working. You never stop. You never stop working. I wonder this morning, what vision of faith has God given you? When, God, when you look to the future and you say, God, I know you're working. I'm trusting you that this is going to be possible. What is it that you see? What passion has he instilled in your hearts? My vision is clear and our church's vision is clear. We might face all sorts of challenges in our church's life, but in and through them all, we continue to have faith that God is at work that the, the hope and life of Jesus would be revealed through us, that we would see people's lives transformed as they engage with us as a church, as they come into our services. We don't just gather on a Sunday to sort of sit here and listen to me talk for a little bit. The reason I stand here and I holler and I talk and I probably go on a bit is because I want to see lives transformed by Jesus as we understand who he is and what he has done. I want to see young people's lives transformed um, as they encounter Jesus too. I have a vision of a church that doesn't shrink back from the challenges that we face, but a church that steps forward and says, you know what, I don't know how it's going to happen. It seems totally irrational, it seems totally impossible, but one thing I know is my God is with us and with God we will not fail. That's my vision but what are you hoping for? What is your hope? What is your future assurance and confidence based in? Is it underpinned by faith in Jesus and, your conf and, and a, a deep confidence in who he is? No matter how unlikely it might seem, no matter how difficult and uncertain the world around us might appear, do you still have faith that God will make a way? Do you have faith that even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, our God never stops working? We can always place our faith in him and look to see the vision of what he is doing in and through our lives and around the world. Once we have a vision of faith, we also need to recognise the power of faith. Verse 3 tells us that it is by faith that we believe the universe was made at God's command. 
For decades, the sections of the church have argued with one another about how God created the world. You've got the seventh-day creationists over there. You've got the people who believe that God created the world, uh, but he did so in other ways over here. And uh, I don't want to get into that can of worms today. Whichever camp you are, God loves you, God bless you. Um, You can have that argument later. But when I am asked about this, I often think to myself and quite often say, um, who was there? Who was there when the world was created so that you can know one way or the other which one was 100% true? Either way, it's an act of faith. We, have, we place our faith and our confidence that it was God that created the world either way. That's the most important thing that we come down to. And that is where I place my faith. He who was above everything took nothing and made everything that the world has ever known. As we put our faith in God, we put our faith in the one who can take nothing and can make everything, regardless of how he does it. That's the important message we need to hear. So if God can do that, if he can make the whole of creation, then we can have faith. And we can have confidence that he can work and do crazy things in our lives as well. He can take my poverty and he can bless me with an abundance. He can, we can have faith that he can take this war-torn world and he can bring peace. He can t- we can have faith that he can create and bring new life into our lives and into his church. Why can we have faith? because he's already done it. He took nothing and he created everything and he's still continuing to create life today. If God created the whole universe out of nothing, we can have faith that the same power of faith is still moving and working in our world and in our lives today as we put our faith in God. So we need a vision. We need to recognise the power of our faith. But then we also need to not fake it if we are to survive in our faith. In in verse 4, we're told the story of Cain and Abel. And if you're not familiar with this story, you can go back to Genesis chapter 4 and read it later on. Um, But to summarise the story, Cain and Abel were kids of Adam and Eve. And they both decided one day to make a sacrifice to God. Cain was a farmer, and so verse 3 of Genesis 4, we're told that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So some of the stuff that he'd grown, he came and he offered back to God. But then in verse 4, we're told that Abel also brought an offering of fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, um, and here... And then the important thing is that we're then told that the Lord looked with favour on Abel, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. Both Cain and Abel made an offering to God, but only Abel's offering was accepted. You have to ask the question, why? Why? was only one accepted. Abel looked after animals 
and he gave fat portions from the first of his flock. The fat portions were like the best bits, the healthy bits, the, the bits that got people salivating when they were thinking about their Sunday roast and going home to it. Um, these were the best bits of meat he could have possibly done. But the key words with Abel was, is the word firstborn. Abel didn't hang around to make his offering. He gave back to God as a priority. He didn't make sure that he had enough for himself first. He just gave in faith. He said, God, I want to give back to you, so I'm going to give to you, and then I'm going to keep and trust you with the rest. He gave to God first and had faith that God would provide for himself. Cain, on the other hand, brought some stuff didn't bring the first, he didn't bring the last, he just grabbed some stuff uh, from his harvest and he brought it to God. But the key phase with Cain is that he did so in the course of time. The difference between the two offerings is not so much the financial value of them, although Abel was sure that he gave God the very best of his flock. But the biggest difference was the heart and the motivation and the sincerity with which they gave. Abel worshipped God as a priority. Cain did it when he got round to it in the course of time. And as such, Cain didn't have the same level of faith as his brother. And as a result, God rejected his offering. We can't pull the wool over God's eyes when it comes to our faith. Faith is revealed in how we live. We can't pretend to have faith and then not trust God as we put our faith in him. We can't say that we want to worship God with all that we are, with all that we have, and then be hesitant to do so. We can't say we want to give God our best, but then hold our best back for ourselves. Our faith has to be sincere, and its sincerity is not seen in what we say, but its sincerity is seen in what we do. You can't fake faith. Either you need to have it, or either you have it, or you don't. After Cain and Abel, verses 5 and 6 then go and tell us about a guy called Enoch. Enoch was also a descendant of Adam and a, fore, a forefather of Noah. And Enoch was a man of faith who walked faithfully with God for 300 years and then never died. Uh, verse 6 tells us that Enoch remained faith, uh, uh, faithful by believing that God existed and by earnestly seeking after him. And as a result of this, Enoch saw that God's re God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Remaining faithful to God is not a complicated uh, formula to work out in our lives. And Enoch is a great example of how simple it can be. It's a question of our belief, and it's a question of direction. And if our faith is to su survive in these uncertain times in which we live, then we need to also have 
our focus ourselves on these two questions. For 300 years, Enoch put his faith in God. He believed in who he was, in what he had done, in who, what he was able to do in the future. His faith, his belief was firm and secure. And because Enoch's belief was secure, that then went on to the second part of faith, uh, which was to let that shape the direction of his life. Enoch didn't want to live the life that he wanted to live. He wanted to live the life of, that God wanted him to live because his faith was firm in what he believed and he believed that the two went together. He believed in his God and so because of he, he believed in him, he sought after him and God was then pleased with him. When we remain faithful to God, when we not only believe in him, but we then live that out in our lives and let God shape the direction of our lives, it pleases God. Verse 2 of Hebrews 11 tells us that people throughout the generations have been commended for their faith. Verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. A couple of weeks ago we talked about King Saul, how he was a man who had everything. He was tall, he was handsome, he'd even been made king, but he didn't please God. Instead, he did what he wanted, he did what other people wanted, and as a result, God rejected him and he replaced him with David as king. In the face of uncertainty, we need to remember that our primary responsibility as followers of Jesus is to live a life of worship that pleases God. To just as Enoch did in all the uncertainty I'm sure he experienced in 300 years walking around following God is that our belief stays firm and that we let God guide our life as we follow him and put our faith in him. When we face uncertainty, it can be so easy to lose our focus, to start to drift and question what it is we believe and why our faith should determine the way that we live our lives. But the lesson we learn from Enoch, this hero of the faith, is that we need to remain faithful even when it gets difficult, even when it becomes challenging. Unchanged in our belief, unchanged in our desire to follow God and his will for our lives, not shrinking back. For our faith to survive, we need to be faithful. Faithful not only when it's easy to do so, but faithful even in times of uncertainty. We live in an uncertain world, but if we put our faith in Jesus today, we can have hope. Faith is not seen when, as we step into, uh, or faith is seen, sorry, as we step into uncertainty, instead of shrinking back and shying away from it. Faith is, or it is an act of faith to not shy away, but to be confident that God is with us and to trust him in all that we face. 
Faith has power to change the world. And if we remain faithful, even in times of uncertainty, it might not be easy, but we can be sure that we are pleasing God as we do so. And no matter how hard it might be, we can know that as we please God, it is through faith and pleasing him that we then come to experience the goodness of our God being unveiled in our lives. So next time you face uncertainty, how will you respond? Will you shrink back or will your faith survive? as you step into that uncertainty, but step into it not in your own strength, not just because you feel you have to, but because you have faith that God is with you and he will bring you out the other side. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this morning for the faith we can have, that you are the one who takes nothing and you create everything. This morning we set our eyes on you and we pray that you would give us a vision of faith, that you would continue to lead us forward, not in our way, but in your way, and give us a vision of what you might do in our life, in our church's life, in our world, that without you would simply be impossible. In these uncertain times, we pray that you, were, that you would help us to be a church, to be followers of you that would not shrink back, but that would be a church that would step forward in faith. Forgive us when our faith fails, when our doubts get on top of us. Lord, would your, your faith continue to stir and burn within our hearts, that we might know that no matter what this world might throw at us, we can always place our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.